The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk. Hello and you're very welcome to the latest Home Show podcast coming up this week. The permanent TSB Ideal Home Show is in the RTS in Dublin with lots of events and guest speakers and I'm being joined by two of them who are no strangers to the Home Show. According to a recent CSO study, uh, one in 10 Irish households have inherited their main home and 15% have been gifted a property. Economist Stephen Kinsella will be talking to me about those numbers. Architect TV presenter and author Laura Jane Clark on her new handbook for architects and we'll be chatting to a brother and sister who are eighth generation stonemasons. You can email us on the Home Show podcast at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. You'll get in touch with me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100 because I know lots of you like to get in touch uh, that way. And remember, you can listen back to the show uh, podcasts on the Newstalk app, which is powered by Go Loud. And of course, you can listen to Newstalk Radio at eight o'clock on a Saturday morning if you fancy a different way of listening and you're up at that hour. You are very welcome along this morning to the Home Show podcast. Now, the permanent TSB Ideal Home Show is taking place at the RTS in Dublin this weekend. Of course, there's lots of events and home improvement professionals and guest speakers and all of that kind of thing, uh, including my next guests who are in studio. Uh, no uh, strangers to the home show, Patricia Power, QS and Denise O'Connor, our regular from uh, Optimised Design. You're both very, very welcome. Thank you, Shane. Now, uh, we're going to chat today about going back to basics and... Um, building extensions and I know lots of people who have building projects which are still I mean even post-Covid there's still a big stack up list there jobs to be done and trades people to get uh, so they'll all be heading down to the RDS uh, to have a look at what you have to do but Patricia you'll be taking your own advice <laughs> <laughs> How lucky are you to have a QS on site for your own project? Talk to I, me about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sinead, I just, we only started um, our own extension, which, listen, has been in the pipeline and it's been kind of, as my hus- husband said, we've been talking about this for about four or five years. We've just got to go and do it now. And particularly the last, we went for planning during COVID when we had a little bit of time. We said, you know what, we'll take the time now and plan for it. OK, and we went in, we lost for planning and we kind of held then when prices increased. We said, we'll wait, we'll wait, we'll wait and see the prices drop. And come January this year, we said, it's not going to happen. So what are we waiting for? We need the space now. We have a young family. They're growing up. You know, we have four young kids, two teenagers, two kids in primary they're going to be adults before we know it and they're going to be living at home tonight yeah. like that's the long and yeah. short of it unfortunately. And, and you know like so. there's so many people listening who are in exactly the same place and yeah. I suppose might take some comfort for the fact that even building professionals like yourself yeah. are still tossing up that dilemma uh, do we wait do we go do we yeah. get you know what are yeah. we going to do because the planning thing like there's a time limit on that as well I mean that you can't sit about on that for years No once you get planning it's valid for five years OK, okay. so, the, the, you know, so, okay, so that gives you a little bit of time. A little pull, bit of time, but like we're two, two and a half years later and now oh, we're no. deciding, OK, now's the time to do, we're going to do it and that's it. We need it now and, you know, prices aren't going to drop in the short to medium term. I don't, we don't need it more in 10 years time. We actually need it right now. Mm-hmm. So we've decided, mm-hmm. let's go and do it. We've kept it as simple as we possibly could. You know, the design is, it's very rectangular. Denise is looking at me here. <laughs> it has a pitch She's thinking of the cushions and the curtains already. <laughs> <laughs> it has a, and we're using the same material externally throughout, you know, and I'm using the same material inside, outside. So I've tr- tried to keep the the materials and, you know, 
the the repetition of the same stuff throughout without jumping and using different mm. external finishes. I've kind of kept the same. The roof is simple. I'm putting corrugated sheeting on this. You know, okay. I and really actually, am going back to basics popular, here. Isn't it? It, it, do you know what it is? I'm actually talking to agri- agricultural people at the moment <laughs> about it. I'm finding it difficult to get people who've Any done it. You're selling much. that roof on the couch, <laughs> at the and they're all like, I, I, I'm talking to a group in Kilkenny, and they're absolutely brilliant. I said, "Can you let me talk to a fitter?" Oh, they're all local down here doing the farm sheds, farmyards, you know. Yeah. And she said they won't go up to you, Patricia. So I, I've managed to get somebody local. The builder has been absolutely brilliant. So yeah. he's going to get somebody to do it for me but it is very much I've kept it very simple I've kept it very basic it's not you know there's no bells and whistles in it Well now you, you've parted company of course sometime off the telly with your screen husband Dermot Bannon Yes Have you managed to resist the massive <clears throat> big glass box windows or are, are they still are they still your go-to on everything um, Do you know what there's one or two sliders but they're of kind of um they're not full height they're not massive in width you know it's not that kind of look we've gone for very much kind of slimmer windows as in kind of 900 metre but they're kind of from the floor up to 2.1 2.2 okay. so that's the kind of that's, look uh, that's that we've gone for that's a look nowadays it and, is. and Denise in terms of the like the corrugated roof and the slim gym windows mm-hmm. they are kind of in does that like I'm thinking of the roof in particular because people love that natural look, whether they string beams across them or, you know, just have the, the roof outside. Does that inhibit kind of some design elements that you might have otherwise chosen? No, I think it gives you a steer. So when you're going for something that is very um, particular like that, you know, that's a real statement. That's a it really, is. you know, that's a yeah. feature in itself. That's what you can kind of plan around then that that sort of dictates the look and the feel so that can guide you that can be really your steer and how you you're how you absolutely design right we're, we're, it's burnt larch on the walls That's you know amazing, it's black yeah. aluminium windows Gore- so oh, it's going to be very much a black yeah. house you know or black yeah. extension but yeah. our existing house is very traditional so they're very different so Fabulous. Yeah. So. sounds amazing and actually mixing that that tradition that old and new because yeah. sometimes mm. when people put on an extension they've all the money for the extension yes. and all yeah. the work goes into the extension yeah. but isn't there that piece about, okay, you can have something ultra modern in a 1930s home, yeah. but you you have to be a bit careful, don't you? Especially if you're integrating it into the one space that already exists Yeah, definitely. There. Like it is, it's a gorgeous idea to sort of add something really contemporary to particularly a period home because you've got that sense of we're in the old space and then you move through into the new space and it sort of helps people understand the, the transition and how the home mm. has evolved. But it's really important to try and connect them in some ways because otherwise you fe- you end up feeling like you've just got this add-on which can kind of detract from yeah. from the main house which yeah. can be a bit of a shame. Yeah, and we have Laura Jane Clark on after the break and she has written an, a handbook. She's an architect but, but she's written a handbook for people who aren't architects to kind okay. of describe that to them. Like how Brilliant. do you do it without it looking like, you know, there's a chunk that landed from space yeah. you yes, know, onto yeah. the exactly. back of the house. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, Patricia, talk to me then a little bit about, you know, if people are are doing that design and that build. I know one of the things you're probably going to say and it, it just 
sinks hearts everywhere is spend money on the invisible stuff that you can't show off to the neighbours. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Like there is, as as you said, you know, the talk that we did is back to basics. So it is getting the structure and the insulation and the air tightness and it's putting the money into that. And there's oh. no alternative. <laughs> there's no cheap way of doing no. it. You no. know, you do need to, between the substructure, your external walls, your insulation, your air tightness, your windows as well, triple glazing, mm. insulating your roof. That is where the money is going to go. And, you know, you won't see it. It is hidden. It's hidden by the end product that you're going to see, which Denise can talk about, which is whatever, your wallpaper, your panelling, your paint, your decoration, all that kind of stuff. But you can't skimp on that, unfortunately. So that is where the money has to go initially. Mm. And then I always kind of say, what's left then you put towards the decor. Absolutely. And And the great thing about the decor is you can phase that. So it's really, it's a false economy to sort of spend a load of money on pretty aesthetics when the structure isn't right, mm. you know, because you're just going to have endless problems yeah. down the line. Yeah. And as well, all that stuff, the invisible stuff you don't see, that's your comfort, yeah. you know, or the layout, which is so important that that gives you the flexibility for the future. Yeah, and I suppose things like, I mean, I get the logic of that. It's mm. just like it's stuff that you're, you know, it's putting in a tiling, underfloor heating. Now, that said, once yeah. you have it done, yeah. then I suppose... It's done for life. It's, it's done, done forever. And yeah, then that forever. can that can kind mm. of affect you don't now need a big heavy carpet maybe or big yes. heavy drapes because yes. yeah. you you've air tightened your home yeah, with exactly. that, you know so yeah. you can go with the lovely voils and the yeah. the chenilles and the all that and kind of stuff. I suppose <laughs> what needs to be considered is is the is the actual running cost. You know, okay, the capital right. cost is a bit more because you're investing in a heat pump, you're investing in underfloor heating, you're investing in triple glazing, you're putting in all the insulation, yeah. the air tightness. Mm. But that will stand to you over the life of that building. Yeah. You mm-hmm. will get a pay back leaps and bounds in your bills you know mm-hmm. you'll have a much much cheaper running cost so you won't be spending it that way so you'll yeah but yeah. and of course all yeah. the grants that are available and they are generous they yeah. go towards mm-hmm. your stuff they, um, they for existing homes I wouldn't get it for putting on an extension Okay. okay, so it's only if you're upgrading your existing home. So okay. that's to encourage people to upgrade their existing dwellings. Right. Yeah. But of course, you can insulate the attic and put in a heat pump and exactly. insulate the roof Absolutely. and all that. Absolutely, yeah. and put in panels. Right, so Patricia's mm. costs get down. Denise, there's no grants now for the nice curtains <laughs> and the wall hangings. <laughs> no, there's no grants for wallpaper now, no, unfortunately not. <laughs> so they have to go with that. All right. Yeah. Now, Patricia Power, you yeah. have been uh, chatting away at this exhibition and helping loads of people. Uh, today, you're back in... Yeah, in, in today talking yeah, about I'm what? back today uh, just after one o'clock with permanent TSB and we're talking about if you're looking at purchasing a home what to look out for and mortgages and how to go about getting a mortgage Okay right well sure that's a very that's important, important item I'll be honest you're, we can't do it without you're the not money, do so without that. Uh, Denise you're back in tomorrow I'm back in yeah tomorrow at ten past four and I'm chatting about the importance of hiring professionals to help you with your project Oh yeah, yeah. so there's an yeah. issue now of course um, because there's a lot of this thing that people say I'll do, I'll do the project management I'll oh, be in yes. charge yeah. and I'll do it between yeah. the school runs and while I'm in my home oh, office and yeah. it'll all be grand and I'll just point out the window and tell yeah, them to yeah. move things this over yeah. it's not that easy Oh Patricia. Sinead oh, God, I just said to Denise yeah. when we were chatting outside before I came in I said the best thing I did because I did debate will I do this You are the professional trade? That people I, know all the con- I have all the contacts will I do it my husband's in the window business I was like will we do it we didn't. We went for a main contractor. Right, okay. It is the best thing yeah. we ever did. I can mm. safely say leaps and bounds. It's reduced the stress, reduced the hassle. I still have decisions to make. I still need to 
I picked the cladding, still need to select the mm. roof, still need to pick the floor, the finishes, all of that. But and you that can, is enough in itself. See, I wonder what puts people off. And this won't be the case in mm. your case because you can speak their language. Yeah. You can work out what everything costs. You know if they're diddling you. Yeah. Um, because that's your, your gig. And... And it must speed up the conversations and make it crystal clear. But for the ordinary person who yeah. doesn't know the first thing, they'll never do this again. Yeah. They, it's a once in a lifetime. Like, it can be daunting to head into that. Oh, God. Absolutely, Absolutely. it is. Uh, it, it's like, it's a massive task. It's mammoth. For me to do my extension, I'd actually have to give up my job to do it. Between arranging deliveries, materials, yeah. arranging the trades, making sure they're turning up, coordinating of the trades. You know, one day you might have block work, then you're coming in with the steel, mm. then you're onto the timber. Yeah. So mm. it's all that planning. You know, it's yeah. project management on site. That yeah. is a full-time job. I would have to give up my own job to do this properly. But you know, which I don't have the time. I'm looking out of my office going, oh my God, it's the best thing I ever did, you know. And yes, you're paying a premium because you're paying somebody else to manage it, but they're the experts. And the thing is, they're not going to get it wrong. Mm. I would probably get something wrong because I'm not used to doing Mm. that. Yeah, I'm good at the cost side of it. You know, I'm good at dealing with main contractors and, you know, subcontractors, but actually building it and being on site. And I suppose, Denise, by the time you get on board, um, which is possibly, people love things, thinking about the interiors long yeah. before the extension yeah. they have it designed in their head yeah, nearly yeah, 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 but by yeah. the time you actually get to come in is it easier to work can you tell an extension that, or a home that has been professionally done yeah. every step of the way as opposed to one where the owners kind of said oh stick something over there and can we put in a window here and build a wall over there Absolutely well because we do the architecture and the interior so often we're we're there from start to finish but we do have clients who do feel they could manage it themselves so they might just go for us you know mm. they want to do the design piece and then they'd manage it on site but it's like Patricia's saying it is a complete job in itself because you need to understand the sequencing of when things happen on site. So when will they need to know where their sockets and switches are going? You know, where is the sink going to be in the kitchen? All these things that people wouldn't, no. they just wouldn't no, understand. No, actually, and don't critical. you get, you get bounced into, so if your electrician says or your builder says, look, we need to put in the sink now. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, well, we haven't even looked at sinks. We yeah, haven't we haven't looked at the kitchen. Oh, yeah, we don't even know yeah, what sink. Yeah. You know, so it is. It's, so they it's do kind daunting. of go hand in hand. Yeah, then. they really right, do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, final question, Patricia. Planning is it? Is it like how long is it all taken? Is it is a disaster? Is it board planola? Of course, they've had their own worries. Yeah, it, it, like I suppose Denise probably be you're at the core of it more than mm-hmm. I am to mm-hmm. be honest which I kind of hit the cost plan and then I let the architect Are you finding things are taking a lot longer? Things are taking things are taking longer yeah and particularly the bigger the bigger projects and things like that but typically it's three months start to finish Okay So all that's all going well That's not too bad Okay It only really goes to the board if there's observations local objections Yeah You kind of an idea of the area you're in if that's going to happen going to fly yeah, you yeah, know yeah. if somebody else has roof Alex windows you can put them in or yes, it's sticking yeah, out bit yeah, or whatever yeah, alright yeah. well listen if listeners want to get all of that expert advice and lots and lots more of course and you're in Dublin or nearby you can head down to the RTS uh, today tomorrow it finishes tomorrow Sunday, finishes Sunday yeah. and uh, you can look for tickets on that called uh, at idealhome.ie uh, it runs from 10 till 6 and Denise O'Connor of Optimised Design Patricia Parr will be there Uh, and you can chat away to them and thanks a million for taking time out of the very busy schedule which I know it is those things uh, to come in and talk to us on the Home Show today.
Now, a recent CSO study into intergenerational wealth has found that nearly one in ten households have inherited their main home and 15% have been gifted some kind of property and many, many more have benefited from gifts and inheritances and all of that. So what does it mean for the property market and in particular the housing crisis? Well, joining me now is Stephen Kinsler, Professor of Economics at the University of Limerick. Stephen, you're very welcome back to the home show. Um, Now, look, we know Ireland is a very wealthy country, but it can be unequally divided. And it seems the wealthier you are, the wealthier your children and grandchildren will be. But where property wealth is concerned, it's even more the case. Would you agree with that? I would. Uh, the the study, the main study that we have on intergenerational wealth comes from the Central Statistics Office, Sinead. And what it shows is about one in five Irish households get money as an inheritance or gift. Um um, and you know that's about eighty thousand when they get it. Mm. That implies, of course, that uh, that four fifths don't, right? So that so there is a transmission of wealth. Um, and I think what what's interesting as well is is that about another one in five households expect to get an inheritance or or, or from from uh, from older households. Um, so you know fund, fundamentally fundamentally these are um, these are uh, how privilege, if you like, uh, uh, or, or asset, um, asset uh, accrual, uh, depending on, on, on your political bent. <laughs> uh, that's how it's transmitted. Uh, uh, father to son, mother to daughter, parent to child, normally. Um, it depends on what is being transferred as well. You'll very often see, uh, say, just the principal private residence being transferred. Uh, or, but, but very often it's just money. You know, mm-hmm. just 8% of, 8% of people in, in the survey were actually gifted a home. Um, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. And mm. I don't know anybody who's ever been gifted a home, <laughs> but they, but certainly if they are among your listeners for sure because they're yeah. a national radio program. But uh, I I I I know people who have gotten um, money as an inheritance or gift. It hasn't been me, uh, but I certainly know uh, people who have. And you know it, it is how um, how our, the structure of our society. Uh, reproduce itself. Yeah, and I mean, maybe we're moving in the wrong circle, Stephen. I, I don't know anybody who's been gifted a home as well, but I do know that revenue clamped down a number of years ago on tax breaks that they were giving um, because very wealthy people were abusing them. This is the like the residence where you where you have to live in the property for a number of years and then you can have it without paying, uh, without paying a capital acquisitions tax on it. But they had to clamp down because very wealthy people had six and four, five homes and they were passing them on to sons and daughters and uh, and a, a kind of avoiding this tax. And they said, no, you can't do that anymore. So there's clearly a very wealthy group of people out there who have the capacity and the ability to do that. When you see intergenerational transfers, you said, OK, the median gifts is about 80,000 euros. Is that enough to, like to skew house prices, uh, like they're skewed enough already. But w- would it affect the market? I think what's happening effectively, like so, if you look at the frequency of transfer, let's say you know pre nineteen sixty one, essentially no money was given from one generation to another. And if you look at from twenty sixteen to twenty twenty, twenty three percent of the gifts were just money, right? So it is housing related, and it is the fact that the bank of mum and dad are helping out. Uh, uh, to get their get their kids on the property ladder, um, which is a phrase I hate. But anyway, they they they, they are given that uh, in order to to actually access housing. Now, whether whether that locks other people out of the housing market or not is a function of the supply and demand of housing. Mm-hmm. 
But we know, like everybody listening to this knows, that there isn't enough housing. So it, it is certainly the case that uh, children of privilege are being privileged at the expense of children who do not have that privilege, whose parents aren't that wealthy. And it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. So I can I can certainly hear uh, your listeners saying, listen, I worked all my life. I've, I've built up a nest egg and I've handed it to my children. I'm not going to be demonized for that. And you shouldn't be. It's your, it's your money. It's your choice. Um, but it, it's a fact that by... Um, just by dint of one's position in life, you're actually able to advantage your par- your children over other people's children, and that is literally the definition of privilege, mm. right? And I think that that is that is where we're at. So to answer your question more directly, um, yes, it's absolutely uh, related to housing, but whether it's exclusively housing or not, the data are, are incomplete. Yeah. Now, th- of course, the government for Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil, they would say there's no votes in hammering people. Our voters who are in these houses <laughs> and who are seeing their, their prices rising. But do you think the fact that now their children, the voters' children, can't afford uh, to move out of home or buy property, that that might actually shift that conversation? Yeah. I mean, if I think if, if you think that there's about half a million people in Ireland who are living with their parents who otherwise would not be living with their parents. Mm. Um, if you just think about it like that, as a, as a, as a the brute statistic of that, think about how that, that's 500,000 households that haven't been created, if you like, new households that haven't been created. Um, the likelihood of these people voting for the suite of policies that has kept them in their parents' house is low, right? Um, what is really interesting to me is uh, parties of the left that are also having nothing to do with um Asset taxes and uh, like like mm. uh, like Robert Jackson, uh, Sinn Fein, you know, likely very likely the 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 largest party in the next government, the next all, and and very and they're against, the they're against property tax. They're against property, which is they, strange they to reduce it. Yeah, um, which is very strange. Um, and and um, it, uh, there, I, I I actually can't uh, remember. Perhaps it's the Social Democrats, but I think almost every other party of the left uh, has said they will either keep property taxes the same or mm. reduce them. Which is, which is frankly a little shocking because the reality is if you believe that wealth should be distributed equally, then you believe that it should be taxed um, or, or, or uh, taken from yeah. people. But assuming, should be assuming that... Doubling then, it. Then, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, a, very small, it's a very small tax uh, yeah. um, uh, at the moment. It's, yeah. uh, you know, most, people, most people have no problem paying it. Um, and where there are hardship uh, cases, the state should step in. But mostly... Mostly, it should be the case that if you if you have wealth, uh, you should be taxed on it. Um, and there's lots of people in our society who will happily slate mm. very very wealthy, um, while while uh, uh, um, perhaps unknowingly hypocritically absorbing the largesse. Yeah, from the indeed. Wanting to stay in the, the nice house, but wanting everybody else to be taxed for theirs. <laughs> All right. Well, look, such is uh, human nature and and indeed the vagaries of that. Well, look, Stephen Kinsler, Professor of Economics at UL. Thanks a million for bringing us up to date on that on The Home Show. Now, when it comes to design and architecture, very few people would have the depth of knowledge as my next guest when it comes to transforming problematic paths into heavenly homes. Laura Jane Clark, who you may be familiar with, giving her insights on the popular BBC programme Your Home Made Perfect, has put pen to paper and published the Handbook of Home Design, an architect's blueprint for shaping your home. And she joins me now. Laura, you're very welcome along to The Home Show. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm honoured to be here. Now, tell me why you first decided to write this book. Oh, sorry, let me start by saying it's a great book. It's beautifully presented. <laughs> and there's lots of artwork oh, that even I can follow. <laughs> and, and I thought it was a lovely guide. So t- <laughs> tell me why you decided to write it. Oh, thank you. Um, Well, I have been doing initial consultations and home design, and I've basically dedicated my whole career to it for the last kind of 15 years. And over over those years, I kind of there's the familiar pattern has cropped up and homeowners, you know, they'll come to me either, you know, totally fresh or they'll have been to an architect or been to an architectural designer or um, interior designer. And they'll be like, when they come around, they say, well, what do you want me to do? And the homeowners will be like, uh, we were hoping you'd bring us the ideas. Mm. Um, and it's just, you know, and sometimes homeowners will be like, well, you know, we've got planning permission, but we're not really happy with the layout. We're not really happy, but we just didn't know kind of what to say and how to, you know, I think, I think people feel kind of quite disassociated from home design. And I just find that absolutely it just makes me very, very sad. And I think I've always had this kind of feeling that there needs to be some kind of guide or knowledge that homeowners can have that actually that will make them a really key part of home design because it's their house after all. And I think there's a wee bit of a tendency for architects to be like, oh, I know exactly what you need. You, How could you possibly know how to design home? But actually, it's quite an intuitive process. And so what I wanted to do was write a book that really detailed my method of how I looked at home design. So it's not a kind of one size fits all. If you've got a Victorian house, this is how you should do it. If you've got a terrace, this is how you should do it. If you've got a flat, this is how you should do it. It's all about the method, the methodology. So people can look at their own houses with a pair of fresh eyes. And I kind of, I've always had this idea that I'm like the little architect on their shoulders going like, oh, what about this? Have you thought about this? And, you know, just kind of guiding mm, people mm. through the process. Now, I found so, when I was, when I was looking at it, I would consider myself somebody with few, if any, spatial skills. So I find it really hard to mm-hmm. look at a floor plan or a map or, you know, guide my way through something that I'm not in. I'm the, I'm the person on holidays who turns the map around in the direction that I'm facing in. So I was very relieved to see in your book that you've actually explained what all those little opening door symbols are and the little kind of uh, broken line for, uh, say, um, Velux windows. Do you know, like little tiny things that I've seen on plans and I've seen on architects' designs and I never knew what they meant. How, do you think that ordinary people, if they understood this without their, you know, without the training that you've had as an architect, that they would be better placed to have that conversation with with their architect. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, and it, it kind of staggered, I like, find it staggering that we kind of don't. And again, it's kind of kind of a, like a cloak and dagger, you know, home design and, and design and architecture. Um, and I, I just wanted to kind of blow that out of uh, out of the water and just give it as a really accessible guide so you know you can get the most out of your plans and by explaining how to you know even survey up at your own room or your house or a layout just taking it step by step because it is quite simple it takes a little bit of you know kind of thought behind it and it does take a little bit of time but it once you get going you know, the, I suppose that age old thing is there's nothing more kind of intimidating than a blank page. And I just wanted to kind of 
break that and say, right, you've got your page. Let's just get some lines on it. Let's get some, you know, get some drawing, mm. kind of start looking at flow and start looking, you know, like you say, what these lines mean. And then it'll all start to come together. So I'm so pleased you picked up on that because that was, you know, a big part of it. And it was getting that balance between a a guide, you know, like a kind of textbooky thing, but also to be inspirational and to like look at any page and go, oh, I really like that. And oh, that's a really interesting bit of, you know, information. And I didn't want it to be dry. I wanted to kind of, you know, really be as if I was sitting there kind of having a cup of tea mm. and having a wee bit of a laugh, at, you know, and, and mm. just kind of normalizing the whole thing. You you mentioned there just, you know, at, at earlier on when you were talking about architects, kind of some of them are a bit sniffy and kind of I know what to do here. Do you think that by doing this, you've kind of busted a few myths around it? You've called it quite a simple process. I'm sure it's anything but. But but you make it sound like um, it's you want a much more collaborative experience. Uh, do you think architects sometimes like that idea of having all of the information a bit proprietary about their house rather than your house? Yeah, I I think so, and I it's it's such a it's such a funny one, and and the book isn't certainly to replace an architect or replace a designer or architectural you know technician, it's to complement it, and it's to empower the homeowner to be the main part of the design solution and have these conversations you know with builders, with architects, with um, structural engineers to kind of if you have a wee bit of knowledge, then you can you know learn so much more from from the process. Mm. And I and I do feel well. It's a, it's a funny one because a lot of fully trained, you know, fully qualified architects don't spend much time with home design. You know, kind of normal project sizes, thirty mm. grand, forty up to one hundred and fifty, because it's not the most glamorous of you know mm. uh, career path. Well, it's bread um, and butter, and I, though, isn't it? Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I cut my teeth on 25 grand extensions, you know, when I started out, when I set up on my own. But I remember, um, and I kind of, I mentioned it in the book, I remember studying architecture the first day in architecture school. I was like super, super excited. We're all there like, whoa, yeah, this is going to be amazing. Um, And the first thing that the architect, the the, uh, professor said was like, well, if you end up designing home extensions and bathrooms, then you will have failed as an architect. And I was just like, oh, (laughs) And I think it's and and weirdly, I've always felt that I've always felt that, you know, dedicating to a career, dedicating my kind of life to extensions and things like that. It's never felt the most glamorous thing. You know, I walk into the RIBA in in London and I feel like, so I shouldn't be here. I'm not really an architect. (laughs) And And it was only really, you know, kind of lockdown when everyone's kind of looking at their homes going, actually, there's a massive problem here. And then obviously coinciding with your homemade perfect um, and having somebody like Angela who like really gets the process and really Mm. kind of sees it from both sides of, you know, from the architect side as well as the homeowner side. And it, it really you know, it was just such amazing timing and it just allowed homos to go, oh, we've got a problem here. And seeing that kind of lack of um, designers that really that really care and want to create something fantastic and not just put a, bo- bo- you know, a big box on the back of the house and then say, right, well, stick your kitchen wherever you want it. You yeah. Know? And, and you talk there about flow and actually during COVID lockdowns, I think most of us you know, either rediscovered our homes or, or was sick and third of them by the end of it, let's face it. But <laughs> but there was that sense of you put, put great stress in the book, uh, Laura, about how people live their days. So it's, it's not so much to do with where do you put things? It's what do you do and where do you do it? Do you think that's 
really fundamental when it comes to redesigning the interior of a home? Because you spend a lot of time going through a, a bit of a history hit, you know, the Victorian home design through to the 40s, the 50s and right up to the modern day. And how our homes have changed fundamentally because of the way we now live. Yeah, and I wanted that to be a part of it. I didn't want to just kind of launch straight into like, right, you know, storage here, da da da, storage, blah blah blah, light. You know, I wanted to actually kind of break it down a wee bit so you can kind of look and go, oh right, yeah, no, I can see where this house has been extended. I can see the original kind of footprint. And what's kind of, I always find, whether it's interesting, I don't know, but I always, I was, you know, I've I've done probably over. 450 initial consultations and you know designs and different designs idea different design ideas and even if I've got you know on some cases pure coincidence I've done you know the same house on not the same house I've done a similar house on the same road in some in some cases but what I've never found is that I can replicate a design idea Mm. there's no Mm. way that either the homeowners are the same or they kind of live the same way or even just a slight like tilt in the in the plan means the sun will come around in a different way or they'll have like a different view or something. So I didn't want it to come across it. Well, I certainly, you know, there's no way you can say it's about, you know, getting you put your utility room here, put your bathroom there, and da, 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 jobs are good. And mm. it's about kind of seeing individually like say it's not about where you put everything it's like well how can you create that flow which then gives you maximizing your floor area and then you can have kind of spaces for storage and then where you can introduce light and kind of create these views and these focus and and make your design work for you Mm. whether you're a Mm. big family a tiny family you know single or you know a couple looking to to extend it's all about looking at your circumstances well this book will certainly help your home made perfect Uh, is the uh, TV series and the Handbook of Home Design and Architect's Blueprint for Shaping Your Home will certainly, uh, I think, give you a better uh, starting conversation with your architect, your designer, your builder. Uh, Laura Jane Clark, thank you so much for joining us on The Home Show. Just remind people where people, where they can find out a little bit more about you. Um, so you can find me on Instagram. I'm Laura Jane Clark without an E, uh, <laughs> with a little underscore at the end. Um, or my website is Lamp Architects. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Home Show. And you're welcome back to The Home Show podcast. My next guests, Petra and Killian O'Flaherty, are eighth generation stonemasons from Granite Stonemasons Village of Ballynockan in County Wicklow. They're a brother and sister uh, and Petra is the first registered female stonemason apprentice in Ireland in over 30 years and they are determined to keep the stonemasonry show on the road. Killian and Petra, you're very welcome along to the Home Show podcast. It's great to be here today. Thanks for having us. I don't think we've had stonemasons in before. Um, And it's fascinating that you are eighth generation. Um, it's It's an extraordinary thing. It must be one of the country's oldest artisan professions. Talk to me a little bit about your family history. Brilliant. Yeah, well, um, as you said there, Sinead, we're eight generation stonemasons now. Um, our family have kind of, we've claimed that there's more than eight generations. Uh, I remember my grandfather saying that he reckoned there was ten, but uh, we can't prove any more than eight. So <laughs> we go, uh, we go, we go, we're nice, nice to keep it simple, you know, that kind of way and not, yeah. get, your, not get yourself tongue tied on it, you know, that kind of way. And of course, um, you would have grown up then watching your dad and, and maybe your grandparents doing this work 
what was that like? Were you immersed from the very beginning or is it something you acquired slowly over time or was there a point where you said, I want to be an accountant, I don't want anything to do with this? You were always around it. You were always around it and it was always uh, subconscious nearly, you know, that kind of way. You were always, even simple things like when I was small, you'd be going to to a job. My, My father might have you for a couple of hours for the day and he'd be working and you'd be hanging around playing in the sand pile or something, you know, that kind of way. And, and it's only when you look back at it now, how, even though, like I started my apprenticeship when I was 21, I think, um, but I was always working with my father before I went and did my apprenticeship, you know. So you're at it longer than you think, but you kind of go, oh yeah, I did my apprenticeship nine or ten years ago, but you're actually, you've been at it since for as long as you can remember nearly. Your playground was his workplace nearly, was that it? Yeah, I was actually only saying this to one of the fellas in my class last week one of my earliest memories on a job with my dad was actually like in Matthew's church in Ballyfermot he was making the grow and I was beside him playing with the stones <laughs> making a mini version of it like do you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you don't click it off the ground you, you pick it up you know, no, you yeah, don't, it's you in the blood now eight generations it's in the bones yeah. uh, tell us some of the projects you've worked on then uh, well, I when I started off, um, I served my apprenticeship with uh, C. McAvine's sons in Ballynockin and they're, the lads are still there and they're the only quarry the only quarry in Ballynockin left and they've managed to last and it's a testament to the stone itself I served a really good apprenticeship the, they were finishing up the tender on Humewood Castle and they had just gotten the tender on the refurbishment work done on the doll and that was brilliant for me because you were doing big architectural work all massive stones are all you know a, a ton weight all, and all detailed and the work was great but it was it was a great uh, environment because this has to be done by Thursday or Friday uh, so you were you were working at pace mm. and that's a great way to learn. Yeah, great to learn what you're doing but to pick up a speed and then after that then they got the job for, uh, they got the tender for Dublin Castle then. So, I think I was in the, I was definitely in the right place at the right time where now I got to mass up a lot, you know. They're both old buildings. I mean, Dáil Éireann and particularly Dublin Castle. How careful do you have to be in terms of conservation because I know that's very important to your well, business. Well, it's, it's, um, it's not like timber. You can't glue it back on. It's not like metal. You can't, uh, you can't just, um, Weld it back on. Now you can do graphs and you can do repairs, but it's it's better to just not mess it up. Now, actually, Petri, you are the first female stonemason apprentice for three decades. Yeah. Why yeah. is that? Um, I don't know whether it's. I know the apprenticeship stopped for a few years. Like, is it but not for seen as uh, suitable for women, or is there just no interest in it? No, I think any woman could do it. If I'm honest, like there's like this impression that it's like oh, oh a lot of heavy lifting and you're in a, a room full of lads yeah you're with a bunch of guys but it's not as bad as it seems like do you know what I mean um, I also think that uh, it should actually be pushed more for women because we're quite delicate and good at you know like the finer things like mm. so yeah the, I don't the, know if I call it, Petra delicate <laughs> <laughs> no what Petra's saying there is very true yeah. it's a uh, Women have a really good intuition for it, especially for for detailed stuff. But yeah. I think it is a great, I think it is a brilliant trade for for women to go into. Now, of course, a lot of other things have changed in the construction industry generally. And, and I know that people, they love the idea of natural stone and working with natural stone and having it on our buildings and in their homes and all of that. But there's that tiny bit in the back of your brain that says, we're, we're using the earth's resources here. We're digging quarries. We're carving out um, stuff that maybe we should leave where it is. Now, you were mentioning that the Ballynockin quarry is the last one down there, but there's quarries all over the place. And is it is it fair that we continue to strip them out, I, I suppose? Do, do we have enough to go around? Well, in, in relation, when people say quarries, in relation to quarries, there's a, there are different types of quarries. There's a stone quarry, which is, the Ballynockin quarry is an architectural granite quarry where they're taking blocks out 
and it's not a massive amount compared to like and then other quarries they're sand quarries they're two very different things and sand quarries are taking out hundreds and hundreds of tonnes a year whereas architectural stonework like taking it out for blocks of, of stone they're not taking up that much in the grand scheme of things, you know, that kind of way. And of course it lives, like granite in particular, it lasts a very, very long time. You know, you just wonder, are we are we overdoing our use of, of the beautiful natural products that we love? Mm. But no more than oil or gas or anything else we extract from the earth. Once it's taken out, it's it's gone. Well, one thing I will say about that is, um, the one thing about not just Ballynockin granite, but using Irish stone is it's... It's you. What like if you're getting into kind of you know natural material and what's costing to get it here and diesel and everything, it's, it makes a lot more sense to take it from from Arab Arab country and use it than to spend X amount of money on getting it shipped over here from China. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I know that's a different conversation, but do you know what I mean? No, and the but it's a valid one because I mean we are all into using locally where we can and mm. buying locally and all of that, and and certainly shipping that stuff is ferociously expensive because of the weight of it, um, and. You know, I just wonder whether people understand what products are inherent in Ireland. Granite, of course, mm-hmm. a lot of limestone, basalt, you know, stones yeah, yeah, like that. So, so maybe it's it's finding what is local and working with that. Well, if it, I tell you this, Sinead, if someone rang me tomorrow and said, oh, there's a building here in Cork or in, in Cork, let's say Cork Courthouse, we want to do a bit of, we want to do it up. Do you think we should use Ballynock and Granite? I'd say, no. Uh, first thing, uh, what's the, what's what's it already used in? Oh, well, it's used in Cork sandstone. Well, there's your answer. Mm. Um, mm. If someone rang me from, oh yeah, we want to do um, up the Kilkenny Garda station, and it's uh, done in what's it done in Kilkenny limestone. Well, there's your answer. You find the nearest quarry, find what was used before, and use that. It doesn't make sense to bring something from one end of the country down to another, unless it's a private someone's mm. private house, they want mm. a fireplace done or something. But you know, like for like, you know what I mean. That's that's be my attitude, you know. Petra, if somebody was interested in an apprenticeship and wanted to start now, what would you say to them? I would say go for it. Um, I think the apprenticeship is genuinely the best thing I've ever done. Um, I It depends on, you know, like your interests and stuff, but I think the stonemasonry is a really good one because of all the different avenues. So when you're specialising in something, you're going into, like there's so many different options and you end up in the one that suits you best. Yeah. So like it's like you're working towards what suits you rather than working towards a job like the standards of a job full stop like and of course if you get through the apprenticeship successfully and you get to work in a fabulous company well then like Killian you'll win an award yeah. <laughs> and plenty of a bit of luck yeah. well, a little bit about that I will look um, well I was uh, I was nominated last year for uh, Craftsperson of the Year in the Society of Protection of Ancient Buildings I think it's been running since 1877 it was set up then by William Morris and they have oh, an Irish have, branch he now. Have the wallpapers and yeah. arts and crafts. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, they've set up, and they're doing they're doing Trojan work. They're get, they're they're getting a lot done, and they're raising awareness where awareness hasn't been raised in conservation, which is brilliant. Um, I was the first Irish nominee um, ever, and uh, I made it to the top four. Out of, I don't know how many I don't, I don't know how many contestants there was, and uh, I got they invited me and flew me over to England. And Fantastic. I got to meet Kevin McLeod and a couple of other cool ah, people as well. Brilliant. So it was really cool. Didn't okay. win, but it's, it was, no, it was a great, it was a great experience. Well, you, was, you won for Ireland. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, was, I think it was it was between it was the craftsperson of the year for Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and England. And I have to ask you now the hard question before I let you go: Is there a ninth generation on the way with either of you? <laughs> There actually is. There <laughs> is. <laughs> Me and my wife got married last June. Ah, um, congratulations! Exp- and yeah, we met. We're with each other twelve years now, and uh, well, only married one year. 
But uh, we're expecting our first baby in July. So, well, uh, isn't that wonderful now? Congratulations. Yeah. Hopefully my future apprentice. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it sounds like uh, it is in great hands, your uh, your business. Where can people find out a little bit more about it? Um, you can find us on uh, O'Flaherty Stone. Um, our website is www.oflahertystone.com. And uh, we've got an Instagram page as well and Facebook. And um, If there's anyone out there listening um, and they have a son or a daughter niece or nephew or even a neighbour who has a, a kid there who's if they're not sure about third level education or they're not sure about getting into mm. you know going down a different mm. road if they're thinking of working with their hands and have had an interest in stone to give us to get in touch with us I'm not in a position to take on a second apprentice at the moment but um, I'm in a position to kind of point people in the, point a young person in the right direction or any of any age who would mm. think of going into the, the trade in Ireland Petra and Killian continued success and the very best of luck Thanks with Generation Nate. 9 And my thanks to all of my guests today and indeed to you for listening to the Home Show podcast. I'm Sinead Ryan and remember if you'd like to get involved in the show, if you have a question for us or maybe have a suggestion for a guest or a topic you'd like us to feature, we are all ears. You can drop the show a text at 53106 for 30 cent. You can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com because we go through those during the week. Uh, And of course, you can find me on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100 and you can listen to the Home Show every Saturday morning from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock if you're up at that hour Uh, and of course all of our podcasts are up on the News Talk website and the app. Thanks to Aoife Breen producing today on sound, Stephen McLoon and Peter Malloy and we will see you next time round. The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk.